Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. If you haven't heard, I am here to share with you. The Wine and Chisme podcast has launched the very first Latina-owned wine brand directory ever. Just go to the wineandchismepodcast.com, then go to Wine Brand Directory. There you will be greeted by me. But more importantly, you will be able to choose a winery first by region, then by county. And the wineries in that area will not only be listed, but you can connect directly to them from this site. It couldn't be easier than that, right? Use this directory to plan your own wine adventure or learn about some of these Latine vintners or share it with a friend and have them buy some Latine wine as well. You guys, this is the first time that something like this has ever been available. So go use it and support our community. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola mi gente, welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. I have not had a sip of wine yet, but already I am a mess. But fortunately, I have a guest here who is very generous with my mess. <laughs> Luz, welcome to the Wine and Chisme podcast. How are you? Life is too short to be hung up on the details. <laughs> right? Love that. Love that. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. So Luz works as a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. She's a sought-after emotional intelligent expert, speaker, and consultant. Through her business, EQ Refined, Luz offers businesses and organizations ways to increase their employees' awareness and emotional intelligence in the workplace by attaining self-directing tools, strategies, and trainings. I feel like we just all need that in our everyday life, right? Yes. Um, so <laughs> you, she, you, and we'll talk about these other things. You have a gain method to help your clients, institutions, and organizations unlock the struggles to engage and retain top talent and high performers. The lack of communication and emotional intelligence within the workplace leave a gap in not just communication, but overall performance by providing resources and practical steps to enhance individuals, interpersonal and team dynamic skills. EQ Refine raises a company's competitive advantage, maintaining their overall goal of retention of top talent and increased engagement, creativity, and momentum forward together. Luz currently holds a seat as a board member of Project Innovate Newark, which is focused on designing and implementing educational programs for students in Newark, New Jersey, by developing curriculums in growing fields, engaging the students, and generating professional opportunities for them. 
That is a mouthful and that is freaking rad. So I can't wait to dive into the chisme, pero before we start into the chisme, we always start with wine. I know you're drinking water today, but it would not, like I said earlier, it would not be wine and chisme if I was not drinking wine. And I'm actually having a wine I haven't had in a while. I'm having um, Se Soles. It's a white blend and it is a blend. Let me tell you really quick. It's not that warm here. So Norm, but it's a screw top. So that would made it easy. It's a blend of 42% Alvarino and 38% Grenache Blanc. 62% Alvarino. Okay. I was like, that does not add up to hundred percent. So <laughs> <laughs> at least your math brain is intact. <laughs> right. I was like, wait a second. I know I'm reading that wrong. So salud. Salud, salud, salud. Gracias. And this is my, mm. you know, I I, I'm, not a, I'm not a wine drinker, but like there's some cups that are just so gorgeous and I had to buy this and I, and I don't usually drink juice, but when I buy juice, this is where I put it, <laughs> cranberry juice or orange juice, because it's just such a beautiful cup. I wish you guys it is. It's beautiful. So let me tell you funny thing about juice. So randomly growing up, like I'm not somebody who really drinks a lot of soda. I'm not somebody because it's just really sweet for me. I love the carbonation. So like I'll drink Topo Chico and stuff like that because I like that but I don't really drink soda. I don't drink a lot of juice. And when I was an adult, I realized why. And I forgot what me and my mom were talking about. And randomly, she was saying how when I was a kid, she used to water down my sodas and juices. Brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was like, oh my gosh, no wonder I don't like that stuff. Yeah. You have to be born with that. It's It's a craving. It's a drug. Sugar's yeah. more addictive than cocaine. Oh, I know. And I'm not a big sweets person. I mean, but there's sugar in everything. I do look at, like I've made my own marinara sauce before. And I always leave out the sugar when it, like when you find things that say add the sugar, I'm like, why do we need sugar in mar? That makes no sense. Yeah. But Trader Joe's organic marinara sauce doesn't have sugar. Because I'm learning not to put milk into my coffee. I'm putting oat milk or which is more sustainable than Mm -hmm. almond milk. You know, everyone's talking about almond milk, but how much water does it take to harvest uh, almonds? So the next best thing is oat milk. Yeah. All have sugar. I'm like, unbelievable. The oat milk has a ton of sugar. Talk about mafia. That's the mafia. They're getting money and everything. And then they're also getting subsidies from the government, but that's a whole nother story. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know we could do, there's just so much, so much going on. And we have so many things like, that are illegal ingredients in Europe and Asia, but we're fully okay to be able to pump that into our own bodies. Exactly. That's so sad. It's all about the money. Well, it all goes back to what my passion is, which is education. When we have education, we make better choices. When we have education, we think of the society. We think of sustainability. We know that there's a cause and effect. But yeah. if we're not pumping in uh, money, interest and support on our education, then this is what we get. So this just kind of goes back to very beginning because we met through we all grow Latina through Amigas, through our like monthly. But one of the things that I wrote down is every time because, you know, with my new job, I'm not always able to stand for the whole thing. But every time that I pop in and I'm hearing you say something, you always say something very impactful. 
So you always have something very impactful to share. So you start off right away, like, boom, you don't miss any opportunity. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> That's what I was like, I need to have her on. I need to talk to her because we all have a story and we all have things to share. And sometimes... And that's one of the reasons I started the podcast is because I don't want anybody to feel that their story is not worthy because just because somebody is not a business owner or just because somebody is, you know, this, or just because they're, you know, I'm kind of a hybrid of what I think a lot of people are is I kind of have my own business, but I also work a nine to five. And how do you balance that? And how do you figure that out? And I think that there's so many important voices that just because you're not a quote unquote celebrity or just because you don't have the huge platform doesn't mean that your story is not worthy. But for you in particular, like I said, every time I would hear you say something, you have something just very insightful, impactful to share. And I was like, okay, I need to, I need to reach out to Luz to have her come on the podcast. So (laughs) thank you, Jessica. You know, I only became this vocal after learning about emotional awareness. When I became a huge advocate for emotional awareness, that's when people told me, did you ever hear about emotional intelligence? Backtrack 10 years prior. So this is around 2014, 2016, 2018. But in 2007, I started researching multiple intelligences. There's a theory. And it talks about how each of us gravitate toward a specific intelligence, a musical intelligence, a linear, like spatial intelligence, a mathematical intelligence, go on and on. I don't have mathematical intelligence. But it's broken (laughs) down. And, And again, going back to education in school, I think one of the biggest flaws is they give us the spectrum of education, but then they expect us to excel in every subject and every field. And if you don't, that's where the imposter syndrome gets planted. You know, that's where I'm not good enough ideas come up to play because I can't excel in this, but you're not supposed to. It's just to help you find your way. And I think that's where there's a disconnect. Yeah. I want to touch on that and continue to touch on that, but I want to kind of go back to like how you grew up in the area you grew up because you're Colombiana, but did you grow up in, and you live on the East coast? Are you, is that where you grew up on the East coast or did you grow up in, in Colombia and then move or what was like, how was your, your childhood and your relationships growing up? So I'm, I'm really a first gen Latina. My parents got married in Colombia. They're both Colombian. Everyone in the family is Colombian. They got married and my father got a visa because there was a lack of engineers because of one of the wars, I think it's World War, uh, the Vietnam War. They were lacking engineers. And my dad had that degree, came to New York City. The plan was always to be here for a little while and then go back to our, you know, Colombia. But and then my brother was born and then my other brother was born. And then me, I'm a twin. So all of a sudden there's four kids to raise and the salary that you're getting in New York didn't compare to the salary that they were going to get in Colombia. So having had no experience in this country, not knowing the language, not having a network, which is why I think we have this survival instinct, the immigrants, and um, not already being situated, right? Because it's a lot of energy to start recognizing where am I going to live? How am I going to support myself? How am I going to create a foundation for my family? And from there, my parents realized New York is too hard because of, you know, possible robbery, et cetera. The, the winters were too cold, too hard. So we moved to Florida. 
I'm a South Florida girl, but I was in Florida when it was predominantly white. We didn't have such a Latino influx. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. We were one of the first Latinos in my neighborhood. And it's interesting because when we moved in, the white people moved out. I say white people because I'm I'm white, but I meant American, Anglo-Saxon, people who never traveled out of their town. Right. I always felt different. And I remember telling my dad, dad, you know, like they were dating in the third grade and we, you know, Latinas, you stay home. You're a good girl. You be dating in the third grade. What the heck? Making out in the third grade, what? like boyfriend, girlfriend stuff. And if no. everybody out there is like a uh, first gen or new here, they know that that's a no, no in the Latin culture. For girls, especially, but for for the little boys, is how many girlfriends do you have, right? Anyway, so this was back then. Hopefully, it's it's all changing now. But I always felt different, and I was like, Dad, you know, they they're going to the movies on the weekends and they're going out to parties. And my dad said, Yes, but you have a passport, and that just made me so. It just made me feel so special. And he always helped me see in a different perspective. And my both my parents gave me that gift. I help others see in a different perspective, shine the light where we think we're losing out on, we're victims of. They help give me that. But if you turn over here, you could see something different altogether. And that was very supportive in my life because I was one of those kids who felt less than. I mm-hmm. felt like I didn't have value. I didn't have worth. You know, this person is the star athlete. This person is the intelligent one who gets straight A's in all the honors classes. What do I do? How do I fit in? And I never knew that I had a voice. Now, fast forward, I got into a relationship with the father of my children He's Filipino, but he's also much older than I was at the time. Now it's kind of like, oh, it's a 30 year difference. (laughs) 30 years. Wow. But I always thought differently. And here was someone who thought differently with me. He was a CEO. Oh, my God. You don't know how it turned me on to hear someone who didn't talk about the obstacles, but talked about where he wanted to go, number one, and then how to implement actions to go there. And number three, this is what I'm just learning now and later on in life, how to measure if I'm on my way to those goals. They don't teach you that in school. What I've learned, what they teach you in school is what? Raise your hand when you know the answer, not collaborate within groups. The people not ask questions, not to ask the question. I mean, kind of, I think it depends on the teacher, right? But it's like, raise your hand if you know the answer, but not raise your hand if you have a question. Or if you want to think out of the box and you want to take the room to a different place, because unfortunately the rooms are overloaded. Teachers Mm -hmm. are spending the majority of their time calming down students who probably can't catch up or are interfering with the lesson, but they don't tell you everyone in this room is part of your network. Reach out to find out what intelligence each student has and see how you could come to me with a solution that's out of the box. And this is what I found out later. Companies aren't doing either. And this is where my business developed. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more Wine and Cheese Man. Have you heard? Another awesome beauty brand just landed at Ulta Beauty, REM Beauty by Ariana Grande. REM Beauty makes the perfect addition to Ulta Beauty's unrivaled assortment, 
especially as Ulta Beauty is the exclusive retail partner for Ariana's beloved fragrances, including God is a Woman, Thank You Next, and more. Ulta Beauty will carry the full REM beauty assortment, including the Chapter One collection. Ultraviolet, which houses the Midnight Shadow Eyeshadow Palette, At the Borderline Eyeliner Marker, On Your Color Matte Lipstick, y mucho más. Ulta Beauty is thrilled to welcome REM Beauty to select store locations and Ulta.com. So head over to your Ulta Beauty store or Ulta.com and shop REM Beauty by Ariana Grande, only at Ulta Beauty. So I want to go back to when you were talking, because I think the fact that your dad put that like in you at such a young age, I don't think a lot of parents, you know what I mean? Like it's very insightful and it's very like smart for him to do that at such a young age, because I think I'm second gen. My parents had to cope in a different way. And I don't even know some things that they were able to pass down to me and my sisters and some things that I don't think they knew how, right? Because my grandparents weren't educated. My parents both graduated high school, but that's really where it stopped. And I would imagine your dad telling you that maybe affected how you dreamt, right? You didn't have a limit to your dream. So when you were a kid, (laughs) what was your dream? Like, what were you dreaming about when you were a kid? Because your dad is like not limiting what you could be. Oh, that's an amazing question. And I think we still deal with this, what I'm about to tell you in the Latin community. My dream was to own a home, move out at the age of 18, rent an apartment and start building. And my mom put the brakes and she says, no, 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 you're not leaving this house until you're married. That crushed me because again, in the Latin household, the boys, the men are treated differently than the women. And I recently saw this being retold in the round table, the red table with the Estefans. I don't know if you've watched it. Oh yeah. I haven't read that one. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. So there's a beautiful episode there where Lily uh, Estefan is Mm -hmm. talking about how she raises, actually it's her daughter's perspective, how she raises her differently than she raises her son. And Lily came to the epiphany of that's how my grandmother did it. And, you know, I have different expectations to you. You have to learn how to run a household, she tells her daughter. Whereas with her son, she's like, how do you want to be served? So my dream was to move out. Number one. Number two, I used to love Walter Mercado. Do you know who's Walter Mercado? Yes, of course. Of course. Did you watch the Netflix? Yes, of course. It was awesome. Talk about, you know, flashback to the past. He, so I've had an affinity for the tarot. I've had an affinity for astrology. Mine were more on soft skills, which weren't talked about so much in the 80s and the 90s. Thus, I didn't know what my skill set was. I was always morphing, right? That's what we did as Latinos. We came to this country, we morphed. What is needed, I'll fill the gap. What is needed, I'll transform to that. But we didn't learn to identify our unique skill sets and make that a pinnacle for people to then recognize that they have to follow. So I think this is another reason why we have that idea of imposter syndrome, which I personally don't like the verbiage. It never gravitated toward me. But the underlying message is I don't feel worthy. I don't feel adequate. I don't see my value, how I can contribute. Mm -hmm. One message that I love to give is businesses today, I don't have the exact percentage, but I know it's over 30 to 50% of businesses and work today was not invented 50 years ago. So let's bring that 
mindset today to our children that the businesses that they will be running and incorporated, like they weren't podcasts 30 years ago, right? So let's develop the child so that whatever they're going to get into is going to develop around their strengths. And that's the key. So my dream as a child was to just actually, to be honest with you, was to stand in front of a group of people and speak. I used to sign my name. You know, those pictures you get when you're in school, they give you pictures and you have so many, you don't know what to do with them. You sign your name in the back. Yeah, I would sign them like that's my autograph, except I had no problem standing in an empty classroom to speak. It's just when there was people that started filling the room is when I immediately dashed to my chair and put my head down. So I was very shy. I am both introverted and extroverted. Yeah. I was very shy to speak up. So that's why being here is is a 180. Yeah, which is interesting because I'm the oldest of three girls and it was just me and my mom for almost the first four years of my life. And so I was taught something just differently because there weren't any boys. And because when my mom met and married my dad, she didn't work, you know, it was mostly my dad. And then she would tell me, I don't want you to be like me. Mm. I want you to be able to stand on your own two feet. If something happened to your dad, I don't know what I would do. And I was maybe in junior high at this point. And she would be like, if something happened to your dad, I don't know what I would do. And I don't want you to be in that position. I want you to be able to take care of yourself. Like, So I feel like like all these things that she put in my head and I be, being the oldest, I was like, I'm five and almost seven years older than my sisters. So it was also like, I being the oldest, I had to kind of take on some boy roles as well, helping my dad with certain things, right? Like I would be out there with the trash bag while my dad's picking up the caca from the dogs and all like, you know, I was the one helping move stuff. I was helped. So I feel like, and I always call myself a girly tomboy. And I think that has not only be, I was a cheerleader and I played softball, but also I think because of that, because my mom from the outset, it was teaching me to cook and it was teaching me, but it was also her implanting in my mind to always make sure that I can take care of myself not ever to be dependent on a man for money. And I think that has to do with, it was just me and her for so long, right? And then when her and my dad got married, like for, for my mom's been working for a long time now, but there was a lot growing up, she didn't. And she was very, very involved in the things. And I think she just wanted to make sure that, I can't say the conversations she had with my sisters. I can only say the conversations she had when it was just me and her. And that's really what it was about, about me being able to take care of myself. And I'm so appreciative of that. So I'm, a, I mean, I, you know, I love my cousins and everything. I, a lot of my boy cousins, I'm like, they're kind of, they treat me like I'm their sister, but I'm also like, dang, I'm kind of glad I didn't have brothers to like all of my friends that have brothers, everybody that I know that has brothers, particularly in Latino community, they're like, it's, it, you're right. It's, they're treated very, very differently. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And it's a sub, uh, an unconscious thing. Mm-hmm. You know, your mom implanted her fears and her thoughts in you, causing you to have a whole different trajectory in your life. Mindset. That's one of the things that I speak about is how to, how to recognize our unconscious biases. How are we implanting our fears into our children, into the people we connect with, into our interactions? Do you mind if I ask, did you go to 
education past high school? Did you go to university or anything? Okay. I never know. Cause for, I, first of all, don't think that that's always necessary for people. Cause there's a lot of successful people that don't necessarily have to go to university or anything, but did you feel like those things like once, cause I know you said you kind of always felt different. You always felt but is that when you went to college, is that something that you continued to feel? And how did you do things to make sure that you were still connected while with your Latinidad while you were at university, depending on where you went? Great question. I always felt different. I was a, a natural student because I'm so curious, but I was not a natural studier. I never got those study habits in. And psychology shows that your study habits are put into you by the age of seven, eight, nine. If you learn how to study properly, then you, you keep it for the rest of your life. I didn't. I watch TV. So when my parents are like, ¿Y si es la tarea? ¿Ya si es la tarea? See, <laughs> it was a lie. It was a lie. And it was perpetuated the rest of my life. So fast forward, I met the father of my children. I started college right after graduating, but I couldn't stay in college because he was a very jealous man. And I was more worried about the relationship than my perceived um, rising up the corporate ladder, so to speak, the education ladder, because I didn't see the value in it. I, I wasn't getting the value in it. So education for me is not about someone lecturing in front of me and then telling me, go do this now. Now you've been educated. No, I need, there's a system in education. There's this one way of doing it. It's called I do, we do, you do. Now think about when you learned how to drive a car. It wasn't someone saying, okay, this is how you drive a car, Jessica. You're going to put it into drive and you're going to drive and then you're going to put a turn signal on. Okay, you do it. I'm out. Is that how you learn? No, it's I do. Watch me, Jessica. This is how I do it. Now, the majority of the time spent is we do. You're going to drive and I'm going to sit right next to you. And as I'm sitting next to you, I'm helping you. I'm correcting you. I'm supporting you in any of your fears that you might have or uncertainties. And then you do. And this is how I come into the workforce. This is how I come in to coach people. This is one of my skill sets because I don't believe in lecturing from the top. And then now you do it and now you're good. So I left school, to be honest with you, going back to your question, I then had a life experience. And I think not too much emphasis is put on life experience because I absolutely not. not none of it. It was all abstract. Right. When you talk about university or college, it's abstract. Kids don't understand what you're talking about. They're just memorizing it and regurgitating it for a paper, for an essay, for a test. I had life experience. And then afterwards, through some personal situations that happened with my ex, my children came back to, oh, we lived in the Philippines for off and on for like 10 years. So that was a whole nother skill set that I learned. And then when I came back, I realized I need a job, but I have no education, quote unquote, nothing on paper, at least. And everybody here wants to see a certification to prove, check, you know what you're doing. So I went back to college and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And if I didn't have the emotional intelligence under my belt, I would have checked out a long time ago because it was so scary, but I had to keep going. What's in alignment with what I want? I want that degree. I want the degree. Anyway, I graduated just now in 2020. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. So much of what you're saying is I relate to it so much because I didn't graduate. I graduated college when I was 37, almost 20 years to the day that I graduated high school is when I graduated college. And 
you know, I went to community college and stuff when I was younger and then things, a lot of stuff happened where I had, I couldn't finish and everything. And I always knew I wanted to go back, especially for what I do you. It's one of those things that they're like, no, you have to have that degree. And I tried to do things within PR and marketing within that. And so when I went back to school, everybody thought I was a grad student because I've had this real life experience, right? I understood like... It made sense, right? Oh yeah. It's not theoretical. It's like, no, no, no. This is what happens when this happens or, you know, and and it just makes sense in such a different way. I feel like I just, oh my gosh, I just feel like I relate to you in such a like very, we have very parallel stories. Yeah, no. And I think not enough is made of that because one of the things that I'm seeing could be an error is um, students nowadays know how to be a student. They don't know how to maneuver or integrate all of that into the real world experience. It becomes overwhelming. At least in school, I have a rubric. I know, check, check, check. If I do this, I get the A and I get that certificate. I get that letter saying I'm doing good affirmation. Right. The real world, I'm not getting that. And they just keep giving me more and more work and I don't see the goalpost. This is overwhelming. I don't think I like it. I'm going back home. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, because obviously growing up, we didn't have social media. Social media was not part of our our lives. How do you think that the interaction of people staying on social media and like you said, not, I feel like that contributes to not being able to have the communication skills that you, you know, strive so hard to be able to teach people and everything like that. How do you think that that is affecting younger people versus maybe our generation. I feel, I almost feel like we're, I'm an exennial. I don't know. Like I'm an exennial. So I'm like borderline. Like I grew up with 1980. I, I'm 77. 77. Yeah. 77. So I'm still technically, you know, Gen X, but I still grew up in that time where I didn't have my first cell phone until I graduated high school. And that was still a rarity. It was like for emergencies only type of thing. Yeah. It was expensive. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And super expensive. So my mom's like, you better not use this unless I call you <laughs> or it's an emergency. I remember I used to work at the supermarket and I remember the cell phones that were big and the, the brick night- ones. You remember the brick brick ones? ones? <laughs> and I remember the lady saying, I'm in the supermarket. Do we need anything? Do we need ketchup? And I was like, "Ugh, you're such a show off <laughs> only to think, you know, 20 years in the future. Like, yeah, anyway, so I still <laughs> in the supermarket, right? It's exciting, but um, so how I, do you think that like social media has influenced our generation versus like the younger generations in regards to how they communicate? I'm gonna go a little deep here. Let's have a little more wine. Uh, I'm sipping, sipping now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go back for a second and then go back to your question. When COVID hit, a lot of parents were having a hard time, and they told their children. You shouldn't be, this is not how it's supposed to be. And I think that's a big flaw because how it's happening right now is how it's supposed to be. And when you say it's not, you've just limited their perspective of the opportunities of the situation. Now, going to your question, social media is an active reflection of how us as humans are expanding our consciousness. We are becoming more connected We're becoming more visible, more seen. Our voices are being amplified before no one had a voice. If you think about it, it was the king and the queen, and that was it. 
And then it went to the churches. They had the voice. Then it became businesses. And now all of us are having the opportunity to have a voice. On the contrary, there's always an exact polar pull. Just as much as we're opening up our consciousness, we're also closing it up and zoning out. It's equal. For me, social media has been beautiful because it's forced me to have to come out and speak. At the same time, I'm zoning out more. I'm using it as a crutch. I'm distracting myself more by logging in and it is affecting my brain. I'll be at a red light and I'll be like grabbing my phone to see that anyone texts me. Before I used to stand in line and just be quiet and pause. But now I'm like more, more, more. I need more. But we're not giving ourselves the pause, the time to process the more. And I think that's where our work lies in communicating. You can get the more, but are you also giving yourself equal space to process? Ooh, yeah, that is deep. You're right. You are going deep. <laughs> and I love, actually, I, I keep going, I know I keep kind of going backwards, but I love that dynamic because it's really showing where you are now and then how you get there, right? Right. At what point did you figure out, I don't know, like if you had a corporate career prior to you starting your, your business or not, but if so, two questions. When did you realize it? One that wasn't performative, right? Because sometimes people, companies have things that are performative, but how did you feel like you were seen in those spaces that made you kind of open your eyes to that? Because of my ex, he ran a business. I was 18, 19, 20, 21 when I was with him in the business actively. And I got to see my own consciousness at that age. So when I went back to college and I saw that the kids weren't raising their hands, they weren't taking the opportunities, they weren't networking. I can't blame them because when I was that age, I had no clue. In fact, with him, we got to meet the richest woman of Asia in the 90s. And I was not like, tell me your story. How did you get there? I was just like, hi, <laughs> you know, no big deal. <laughs> just like oblivious of the potential and opportunity. So when I went back to college and I started seeing my college was Newark, uh, New Jersey, and it's rated the most diverse college in the United States, which I love because I've been to lots of parts of the world and I just want to connect with people. I don't care about your pronoun. I don't care about the outfit you're wearing. I don't care about how difficult your name is. I'm going to learn it. I'm not going to say, let me just call you Craig because it's easier for me to name you Craig. You know, and I've heard that a lot from the Hispanic communities, but I wanted to connect with diverse people. But beyond the diversity, because it's not diversity alone, can I make you feel included? Can you make me feel included part of your group? I lived in different countries. And because I did, that feeling of exclusion followed me, but it was my job to see how I can feel included, create buy-in language. How can I communicate their language, but still stay authentic to myself? So when I went back to college, I didn't know diversity, equity, and inclusion was a thing until I took a class, and this is in 2019, called Women Leading in Business, I think it was. And I was like, this is what I like because she had so many speakers come in who were diversity, equity, and inclusion officers. And I was like, this is what I want. And so, of course, when I was changing my resume, people were like, good luck. No one's going to fill that job. Fast forward, we have COVID and then George Floyd gets murdered. And then there's a whole turmoil and corporations are now learning that people want more responsibility from the organization. And positions started opening up like crazy. 
going to your point, a lot of them were performative because they don't know really what it means. And I've had a lot of people who were very conservative based say, what does that mean anyway? What is that? You know, with anger. But it's a shame because the way the word was presented to them had a negative connotation, again, changing our perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. And I talk about how included people say, you have a lot of, I'm what they would call progressive, you know, with a bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, when did that word become a bad word? And people are like, you have a lot of You're like progress. It's talking yes, about exactly. progress. Hello, it's in the word. <laughs> exactly. And again, it's that polar opposites, right? You have a pull on one side, you have the opposite pull on the other. But people are like, you have a lot of Republican friends. And I'm like, I have a lot of people, friends, diverse people. And I want to hear them. And we're actually all communicating the same way, but it's that unconscious bias. What was the accent that was put on a story that made it full of fear and uncertainty that caused you now to think of scarcity? Because that's ultimately what it is. Now, this world is a whole diverse melting pot. How can I take how you were raised? We're both Latinas, but you said it. Your mother and you were different than how my mother raised me. You're not leaving this house until you're married and blah, blah, blah. That's already diverse right there. How do we then communicate where we can respect each other's perspective, mm-hmm. experiences, and then come together actively to create motion forward? Yeah. Have you had the opportunity? There's an, a documentary on Netflix about Amber Crombie and Fitch. Okay. And you would love it because you need to watch it. But one of the things it's talking about is like the CEO, the former CEO was very much like about it being an exclusionary experience, right? About like how there was a lot of, if you didn't look a certain way, which was basically white and thin, you weren't a salesperson. You were diverted to, you know, a role in the back room. There was a lawsuit, there was all this stuff and they committed to being more diverse and inclusive and everything. And the one thing that I always find frustrating when I see this is obviously they're going to have somebody who embodies that as their chief of DEI. But I also find it frustrating that that's normally the only head of a department you see that comes from somebody from a community of color or a woman. It's always only so often it's only that role you know, our head of diversity, our chief of diversity, inclusion, equity and inclusion, it's always that role. And then you look at the heads of every other department and they're all still the same. They're all still very white centered, white male centered, white cis male centered, and maybe they have a sprinkle of something else. How do you think that like what you do with, with EQ Refined and working with companies, is that something that you address or how do you think that we can work past that to really have it? Because if we're only having representation and only one very specific part of a company, it's very hard to trickle down throughout the entire company. How do you think that can be overcome? I speak about creating buy-in language. In order to do that, you have to be really focused on what is your why? What is your purpose or your intention to creating this department, diversity, equity, and inclusion? Is it performative? Is it because you want to check a box? Or do you really want to see how you're leaving money on the table? Because ultimately, to get to a certain group of individuals who are in that position, how can we make more money as an organization? Studies show that diversity, that organizations that have diversity and more women in their groups make more money. But it's like I said earlier, it's not diversity alone. It's inclusion. Right. 
and belonging. And what you said exactly is key. If you just have that one position be your representation of minorities, then you're not going to get to that number. So I help you get to that number if that's your intention. And by getting there, I listen to you. We have a conversation because ultimately it's about connecting as individuals, belonging, how we see each of us affect each other. And if you really are out to listen, so I'll give you an example. There was a, an organization that believed they needed to have their employees 100% back into the office after COVID. They didn't want to hear about the flex work hours because their why was they didn't feel that people were working when it came outside when they were working from home. Then we had to break it down and go deeper and deeper, right? A lot of people were feeling angry. And that's why a lot of people are quitting because then they don't feel represented. They don't feel heard. They don't feel valued as an employee. So how do we get this section of the company and this section of the company to come together to hear each other? You first have to create a, a built-in language. Why? Why are we doing this? Do you want your organization to succeed? Because you do know that people are now looking at company culture more than ever. And if they feel that you are not representing their values, they don't want to work for you. And that's why we have this experience of the great resignation. That is so true. And I will say this, you know, the job that I'm in now, I'm mostly in the office. But if I'm like, I'm going to work from home today, I can work from home. And just having that knowledge makes such a difference, right? Just having that flexibility of being like, you know what, all the meetings I have, I can take from Zoom or from Teams or whatever. I can do that. And just being able to have that flexibility. Do you feel think, more productive? Oh, absolutely. Because I think there are some times where like there was just one day and okay, I'm going to, if there's any males, just you got to get comfortable with this conversation. I'm just saying like when I'm on my cycle, it's very bad. It's very painful. It's very wet. And I like the last thing I want to do is have to get dressed yes. and go to work. <laughs> exactly. And so to know that, and I've told my boss ahead of time, I was like, look, there's always a couple of days that I will absolutely for sure be working from home because I just, you know what I mean? I was like, just so you know. And he's like, yeah, we got to, you know, as long as your work's done, it doesn't matter. But to be able to like be in my sweats and a chongo in my hair, you know, just have my hair pulled up in a chongo and not like, and we, don't, and we don't that. need we don't need the bullshit on the other side saying, oh, what? It's your cycle. It's like, oh, what? Did you get kicked in the balls? That's why you can't work for the next 24 hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no need for the sarcasm. There's no need for the judgment. It's like, where is the love and the compassion? Oh, yeah. That's I mean, compassion. literally, I will be on my couch with heating pads in the front and the back. Like if I'm in an office, I won't be able to function. I'll just be sitting there in pain. But just and like I ask, said, this is a great opportunity to ask your audience, share with us your stories. Has this happened to you? Do you feel the same way? I know for me, Jessica, I had a shoot to do. I had brought my lights. I brought my cameras and everything. I just couldn't put on the makeup. I couldn't do it. I had just started my cycle and I was just like, why am I not feeling it? We have to feel it to be able to do this because we put a lot of passion into what we do. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't and how yeah. I would love to hear back from the audience. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Please share if, if you guys have the same issues, you know, or what, or what is it that compels you? Like those times where you just can't stay home. Sometimes it's just, you're not in the right headspace and you just need to be by yourself. And you, you know, it could be any of those things. And 
I would think part of that emotional intelligence comes in as part of that, right? And you do a lot of speaking engagements, harness, like talking about harnessing your emotional intelligence. Where do you think most people fall short or, you know, have the areas of opportunity for emotional intelligence when it comes to, well, what do you think? (laughs) I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking 50 million things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I like to equate this like a baby. When a baby starts learning how to crawl, first sit up, crawl. When they're crawling, they're developing their hip standing, confidence, walking, falling, doing it again and again and again. This is how we're doing it with emotional intelligence. We're learning how to communicate when we didn't know before. We're learning where our boundaries are when we didn't know that before. We're learning now, next, how to create boundaries in a compassionate way rather than a self-righteous or judge, judgy kind of way. We're learning to communicate where it creates buy-in, right? We're learning. So it's a process. And this is where the emotional awareness combines with emotional intelligence. So in emotional intelligence, you have four main pillars. Creating authentic power, where I talk about emotional awareness, that has five. And I merge them all together to create my process. And by no means have I never erupted in anger because I'm so there. No, I'm a human being. And one flaw is we put people on pedestals. Oh, because you're an expert in blank. That means you have never faltered. Incorrect. The reason I am working toward being an expert or knowing this field is because I fall and I try again. I fall and I try again. But do I have the team around me to lovingly remind me? Lovingly doesn't always have to be gentle, but it has to be courageous filled of equal spaces, right? So I think our first step is self-awareness. We could falter sometimes with self-awareness because we will see the flaws of others, but we don't typically see our own flaw. And a story that I like to point out a lot is, um, or recently on self-awareness is one day I was very upset. I was integrating a relationship. He had two children. He has two children and I have three. And as you can imagine, He has an ex-wife. So in reality, we're integrating three families into one. And one of my rules was clean the dishes. When you wash the dish and you put it in the sink, clean the dish. So as I go into the kitchen and I see a pile of dishes, in my mind, I blow up. I'm upset because what? I'm aware that they, they, I think this is key here. (laughs) They are not fill in the blank. But am I aware of myself? I'm not. All I realize is I start banging dishes because I'm so upset. (laughs) Pause. Okay. I said, okay, to myself, Luz. Okay. Marixa. I call myself Marixa because I'm Luz Marixa Latinas. We usually have a middle name. Marixa, why are you upset? And I'm like, because they're not respecting me. And then I said, okay, is that the truth? And then I put myself in their place and I'm like, ah, they probably are not even aware that this is how I'm feeling. They're just oblivious and sticking the dish in the plate. And I said, okay. So what can I do about it? And that's when I said, I can speak about it. Oh, okay. So it's a process. Yeah. And it's not like I took a course. I'm good. I've been doing this actively since 2007. And I'm like the baby who's standing up and falling. <laughs> and then we all go. are. I feel like we Aww. constantly are, right? I'll get there faster. <laughs> no, I, I definitely get that. My, my boyfriend, you know, he'll 
wash dishes because I think he he had made some food in the middle of the night while I was sleeping and I woke up and it was and there was dishes in the in the sink. And when he wakes up, I'm like, oh, your dishes are ready to be cleaned. <laughs> and so, yours. <laughs> yeah, those are yours. I have nothing to do with that. You need to clean those. And uh, he did. But like one of the forks was not clean and he had already left. So I had to reclean it. But in my head, I was like, you know, something's not clean, right? The way I want it to be clean. I'm not going to clean it. I'm going to put it back in the sink. And be like, you need to look at that. Does that look clean to you? <laughs> Let him make that decision. <laughs> the right decision, hopefully. <laughs> the right decision, according to you. It's according to me. <laughs> right. Again. Right. But I was like, I didn't get mad. But if this was 15 years ago, I would have been pissed. I would have been like, why didn't you just clean it when it did it? Like I would have, but I didn't do that. Like, and again, just learning and learning of what will set you off and just doing the work and the growth. But I want to know, I feel like we always hold on to something. And I think that has something to do with what imposter syndrome or, you know, what I know you don't like that verbiage. It's the only word I can think of right now. And I think that sometimes it has to do with what people have told you as well, right? Have Has anybody ever said something to you that was so potentially harmful that you either used it for motivation or you really let it get to you? Like, how did that affect you? Do you remember what that, like, I remember something that somebody told me when I was 14 years old, a high school teacher. And I've carried that for, you know, since I was 13, 14 years old. But has anybody ever told you something that was really potentially harmful and you let, and you use that either for like, you maybe let it get you down for a while and used it and eventually used it for motivation. Or maybe you just were like, screw that, screw what they said. This is what it's going to be. Oh, it's interesting. At the moment, there's one thing that comes to mind, but there's many. Um, My ex-husband was like, oh, they're only looking at you because you're in the Philippines and you're white. And I remember like thinking, because I I never felt pretty. I never felt valuable, like I mentioned earlier. And I remember flying to Detroit and being so happy with all the diversity. and, And I was like, oh, people are looking at me. But and then the Latina way is my value is how many people are looking at me. Am I equating my value based on my title? Am I equating my value based on how funny I could be or my looks or what I offer, you know, contribute? Or am I equating my value based on my essence as a human being? There was another thing. I also do tarot readings. So I kept that quiet for decades because it was not acceptable. The fact that Walter Mercado did it with such success was amazing. I remember my father in the background saying, oh, que es eso, apaguen eso, turn that off. So I would keep it quiet and someone said, you're a bruja. And those words were very painful to me because it wasn't said with love. It was said as a judgment. And I recognize that us as women, we all have intuition, but us as women dilute it because we're matching the boardroom. We're matching the energy in business spaces And because that is not a huge energy that people cultivate, we as women dilute it to match what we feel is happening in the room. And when something beyond our five senses, you know, like we have a feeling something's going on in the boardroom, something, what was, what just happened right now? There was an interaction between the two of you and this happened. This is what I connected, what I felt, but everyone ignores it. And so, okay, I guess I'll ignore it also. I think we're not developing our intuition 
the way we should. And I, I do a workshop on intuition versus fear. How do I recognize which one is my power and which one am I losing power? Ooh, that's so good because that's so important. I always, like I learned to listen to my gut or my intuition or, you know, whatever you want to call it, because I always felt like, and the first time I really had a thing with that was when I was in high school that I remember. I may have had it prior to, but I distinctly remember in high school getting invited to this bonfire and something just did not feel right. I was like, this does not feel right. I have a feeling if I go, I'm going to get jumped. So I didn't go and I didn't let it on that I wasn't going to go. I was just like, oh yeah, we'll see, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. You know, okay, yeah, maybe I'll see you there. And then I just didn't go. And then I find out when I go to class that that was the plan. Like people were planning to jump me and I knew it. I just knew. That's the first time I remember just feeling so strongly my intuition screaming at me saying, no, this is not right. This doesn't feel right and you need to listen. And anytime that I have ignored that feeling, I've gotten burned. Anytime that I've listened to that, even if things didn't go the way that I wanted them to, I always feel okay. Like I always feel like I've gotten something out of the situation, even if it wasn't the exact outcome that I wanted. I've not ever come away upset or mad, but if I've ignored it, I'm always like, ah, I knew it. I knew it. So I just don't even give myself that opportunity to go, ah, I knew it. I'm just like, listen to it. Yeah. Like have you, the audience members, now I'm asking, I would love to hear from the audience members also the moment you had intuition. Uh, Have you ever walked out of your house and something says, take an umbrella and you take a look at the sky and you're like, no, it's not going to rain and then walk out. And then all of a sudden there's a an excellent moment for you to have the umbrella out. And you're like, damn, I should have taken the umbrella. Yeah. <laughs> that's how subtle the intuition can be. And that's how quiet. And, and I'll give you an example. I was visiting my grandmother in Colombia, and we're leaving the house. I'm in the car. And if something says, take a look at her, this is the last time you'll see her alive. I'm 15 years old. I don't understand what that means. I look at her and I start sobbing. My aunt from the other side, you know, my mom's side is what's wrong. You know, she's seeing this 15 year old kid who's sobbing in the backseat. I'm like, this is the last time I'm going to see my grandmother. She's like, no, that's not true. And it was, she died a year later. Listen to your intuition, observe it, honor it. What is it telling you? And I'd like to share that it's not always aggressive. It's a subtle suggestion. Take it or leave it. It's your decision. We do have free will in this life. Nothing is etched in stone. We have the choice to make our life conscious or continue to be on autopilot. And here's one thing I need to point out, which really bugs me. I've done research on intuition and you hear all these top businessmen talking about their gut, you know, their gut feeling, how they follow their instinct. But then you see these journal writings and the way they describe intuition is nonsensical. Like they don't put the same value that business people are putting into it. So I want to find a way where I can lead the conversation on intuition with a different quantifiable data somehow. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I want to. Oh, that'll be interesting. I totally want to hear about that when that happens, because that would be interesting to see. On the opposite side, if anybody said anything harmful to you, what has been the most inspiring thing that someone has said to you? 
You know what it is? It's when people's eyes light up, when I have seen an aha moment in their life, when that spark lights up because of something I said that just helped them have that change of perspective. Like my dad telling me, but you have a passport. Mm -hmm. That's actually what lights me up. That's what keeps me going because we each have a message. And I know that my message is that shift in perspective. When you shift your perspective, you welcome in different people, which is the diversity. When you speak differently, you include different people. And then you create a sense of belonging. And it's about equity. Let me take you at where you are at. So oftentimes we have so much judgment. And I'll give a, another quick story. I had a boyfriend who had a really bad accident and had really close friends. And I was by his bedside in the hospital. And I would see Facebook was fairly new. And I would see them in the club and they're having fun. And I was judging them. How could they not be here by his bedside? And then I realized they're good at what they do, which is not totally what I know how to do. If they judged me that way, that would hurt. Maybe they're not good at the skill set of being by someone's bedside to help them heal. That's where I'm good at. So that helped me take people in an equitable space. What is the thing you, as loose the person, feel like you are still striving for in regards to... I still need to really work on this. I still, I mean, obviously we're all, we're always learning, right? Every you're learning until the day that you die, but what is the one thing that for you, you're, you feel like you struggle with in regards to your growth? I'll bring it back to the audience. Where are you one way here excelling and in another way, faltering or self-judging yourself? I had intuition. It was very natural for me. And then now I'm entering the business world, corporate language, you know, people, this is what I've achieved. This is what I've achieved. Next, next, next time management. Then I shifted because I went back to college to learn about this part of the world. My struggle has been integrating my intuition with business management, with learning how to have that language that you can never apologize. You're always on top. You're very effective. And I'm like, but that's not authentic. It's not yeah. real. And so I've been struggling, but I'm like, and I've realized I've been morphing who I am. That's why I've been having so much struggle because I'm not in my intuitive self. I'm not in my flow. I'm trying to copy and mimic. So some people are excellent in the workplace, but have a very hard time with their family. How do you merge that? Maybe they're excellent in this other development, this other project or section of their life, but they're having a hard time with relationships, finding love or parenting. Everyone has that hurdle, but that's what makes life so interesting. So imagine watching a basketball game. Imagine if the basketball game has one player, the basketball net is at three feet high. You can carry the ball and there's no <laughs> opponent. <laughs> Everybody can do it. What kind of game is that? It's not <laughs> the only game I could win. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's not interesting. You need to have opponents. And when we can start seeing what's facing, what's coming into our face as, oh, this is here to help me grow, help me improve my skills, help me communicate differently, help me have relationships in a different way, shift our perspective and mindset, but continue with the action that's where we find magic. I love that. For me, I, I, I struggle to give myself grace when I'm not, where I feel like I don't know enough. 
So I had a very hard moment with imposter syndrome the other day of writing some talking points for my boss for a press conference. And I'm still learning. I'm not a policy person. I'm still learning. I'm only, you know, I started my job like between Christmas and New Year's. And then I just got promoted. So now I'm like adding responsibility. And part of that is when sometimes to write talking points for my boss for press conferences. And, you know, it wasn't a policy I was familiar with. And so I wrote as much as I can. I was struggling with a couple of bullet points and I sent it to a coworker and I was like, can you help me? I feel like these two bullet points are really weak. He was like, yeah, talk about this, this, this. And we added it in. And I, but I felt like for all afternoon, I just felt so stupid. I'm not going to lie. I felt so dumb. I felt so stupid. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm about to ask because of this promotion, I'm about to get a raise. Like, do I, like, I was just struggling so hard. And my friend had to remind me, you've never worked in politics or government before. (laughs) You've never worked in this space before. You've only been there for five months and you have to give yourself some grace because I was really down on myself. Like I was crying because I was so frustrated with myself. And then my boss came out. He's like, oh, Jessica, I'm using like 99% of what you put on here. And then I felt like a fraud. I only had help with two bullet points. And then I'm like, why am I, why do I feel like a fraud? Because I didn't write like that. And, and my coworker was like, that's why we have a team. Like, don't worry. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I feel so dumb. And he was like, no, don't feel dumb. Like that's why we're a team to bounce these things off of each other. And that was a moment. And that was just recently. And that's, I think things that we have, we feel like we think we're always gonna, we're eventually gonna grow out of it. And not for the most part I have, but we still have those moments and it's okay to have those moments as long as we don't stay in that moment. Right. Like, I just wanted to share that because I want people to know that, you know, we all still go through that. We all still have those moments. Do you, I mean, I'm assuming you still have those moments as well. You know, as long as you're growing, as long as you're learning, you're going to have those moments. And if you choose not to grow and not to learn, you're going to have those moments no matter what, sitting on your sofa, watching TV, watching life pass you by. There's always going to be a yin and yang, a pull, because we are stretching beyond those parts of ourselves that are limited. And now the question is, this is not the first time this happened to you. This is not the first time something like that has happened to me. My biggest learning lesson is how can I find the opportunity? How can I still love myself? How can I be compassionate to myself? How can I give myself some breather, right? And then you're lucky you have that support around you. And then how do you see the next time this happens, that part of you that wants to put you down? Because it can take you a bit, right? It can take you low, low, low. Uh, I've I've experienced that the other day as well, where I was just so frustrated. So I felt myself, I had an opportunity to speak for a new organization because of a personal commitment. I won't be available on a certain date that they chose. And it made me so heartbroken thinking there's always obstacles to delivering what I want to deliver. Will it ever happen? Sometimes we think that once we get that one achievement, it's off, baby. I'm, I'm there and there's no more obstacle. It's not. That's not the chart of life. My mom used to say, la vida da muchas vueltas. Prepare yourself. 
sometimes you feel like it's going right and then you get a left turn and then it's not linear. Life is not linear. It's up and down. Can we forgive ourselves? Can we be grateful for what our intention is, which is to offer our value? Can we love each ourselves? But do we have that same patience with others? Right. What would you like to see EQ Refined grow into? Honestly, I would love to see it grow into a, an app where people are like, 1-800-EQ-REFINED, help, this just happened. I'm not sure what to do. And then just give them the skill set, the tools, the language, help you recenter yourself. I would love to see that. Actually, right now, what I offer is a 15-minute consultation. If anything arises within work or within your personal life that you want a quick reset, give me a call. And I have a membership price for that, but I would love to see it on a bigger scale. I just saw that there's like an attorney, there's a group of attorneys. And if a a cop stops you, you can punch into this app and you have a live attorney there with you as the policeman is talking to you. I've never personally had the situation, but I know a lot of people do. So bringing EQ to the mainstream, going back full circle to the original part of our conversation, like a cell phone. I've been able to develop this because I had the funds to take this on. But a lot of people are working day to day in their jobs, paying bills and having a little moment of freedom, of happiness, of a vacation. So you don't have all that extra money to develop your EQ. So as organizations who have a lot of money and want to help develop their people, that's where I target. I target the organization. You want to bring more emotional intelligence to your to your people, hire me, bring me on universities. You want the students to know what to do once they graduate your school, bring me on, help people develop their emotional intelligence, their emotional awareness and raise their EQ. And then you'll see how valuable everybody can come by bringing more to the pot and by not leaving so much on the table when you disavow others. So I always give, before I have you give your social media and your website, this is, I can't believe it. We've already gone through an hour already. It's been like flown by. If there's anything else you want to add that I didn't ask or anything, please feel free to do so. If there's anything that I would like to add, ultimately, it's about your commitment to yourself. We enter couples counseling because we want you, the expert, to fix them. We need you to fix yourself. We need you to step up in this world. More of us are being called to share our intelligence, to share our innate brilliance, to share our authentic voice and vision. But how do you do that when you weren't given the skills to do that? That's where I come in. I come in to help you build relationships. I come in to help you build yourself. What are you good at? What is your purpose here in life? It's not to buy the Ferrari or the eight bedroom house with five bathrooms. It's Do you not. follow? <laughs> <laughs> no, because, and there's so much studies on people on their deathbeds, what it is. They, they wanted to create relationship. They wanted to say, I love you more. They wanted to enjoy their life. But we're on this doggy dog world of next, like I mentioned, more, 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 but are we really living in the present moment? Well, that is the truth. If I don't hear the truth, that's not the truth. That's the truth. <laughs> How can people reach you? Your website is eqrefine.com. And then how can people get you on social media as well? I am on Instagram, connect underscore with underscore loose. 
You'll find me there. I speak to people in everyday situations. And you'll also find me on LinkedIn. And that's where I speak more to VPs, um, CEOs, HR people uh, to come in to speak to their organizations. Luz, thank you so much. This was such a wonderful conversation and I appreciate you taking time out of your day to share your story and just thank you so much. Thank you, Jessica, for the chismes. We didn't get too much into the chismes. I know. You know what? It's the chisme on on what you're doing. That's really, I always tell people it's the chisme on what they, on themselves. They get to spill the chisme on themselves. Well, the chisme on myself is I'm a hot mess. You know, I'm learning, (laughs) I'm growing, and I'm here to share my light. And I want you to share yours. Salud to that. (laughs) Our final salud. Salud to that. There, my final that was a terrible there oh i love the way that sounds that that right? must be real crystal oh i got it in in home goods <laughs> oh my gosh that that's the, i love the sound i love the way it sounds i like a good deal another <laughs> another thing that i teach is financial literacy there, so we're all we're better all than that. emotions and financial literacy right <laughs> they do go hand in hand <laughs> yes emotional buying Yes. Thank you so much, Luz. And until next time, mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.